0: Our profession is extremely hard to explain, except for people that do it. And it's incredibly hard and incredibly precise, and it takes such amounts of time. I've given my life for this art, and in this moment, the art sends
1: you back. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. There's something incredibly special about Guillermo del Toro. He's a filmmaker who possesses the ability to completely transport and transfix his audience, creating fantastical new worlds that feel both incredibly tangible and painfully familiar. That special quality in Guillermo's films is not achieved by technical mastery alone. Instead, it's the effect of a filmmaker who wholeheartedly pours himself into his work allowing those lucky enough to watch his films a glimpse inside the true heart and mind of someone fully dedicated to their craft. His magic touch and enthusiasm has earned him universal respect in the creative world and beyond. And as someone who has had the pleasure of sitting down with him in the past, I can confirm that his sense of humor and humility is matched only by his confidence and candor. Today, I once again have the opportunity to speak with Guillermo, this time about his latest film, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, brought to life using classic stop-motion techniques. It's a bold, arresting reimagining of Carlo Collodi's classic fairy tale. It's also Guillermo's first stop-motion feature, and as expected, his unique style has translated beautifully into this handcrafted masterpiece. Guillermo, I found our interview from 2011 Comic-Con. It's so ironic to me because we were... Talking about Pacific Rim, you were filming it in Toronto and you were saying how Mary Parent didn't want you to come down and, you know, all that stuff and and whatnot. But it was just so amazing as Pacific Rim has become such a giant part of my life because my younger son is obsessed with that film. I've seen it, I don't know, more than 20 times. And then the the sequel and I had to track down the kaiju. Mary, help me track down the actual kaiju figure. And he has it in his room. (laughs) So it was just so funny. I was like, Wow, I forgot. I knew we had we had done an interview in Comic Con, but I couldn't remember the context around it. And I was just like, Wow, this world is too it's just too small of a world, and, and he's 14. So, you know, just to give a It you is a basis. strange
0: world, but it's great that he likes that movie.
1: Oh, my God. He loves that movie. And I have a question from him that I will ask you at the very end of this interview. Let's do it. Let's do it. So my first question is a very basic one. What was your first encounter with Carlo Collodi's Pinocchio? What, what was that first moment that landed on you?
0: The, the actual The first time I saw Disney's Pinocchio, I guess, would be the first one. And I saw it when I was a very young kid with my mom, and it impressed uh, me because it it captured how scary being a kid seemed to me, you know? And uh, the first time I read Colotti was many, many years uh, later. I was in my 20s, probably. And it became, uh, just uh, out of curiosity, I wanted to read uh, the source. And it's such a different uh, experience because he would publish it in chapters so it has a very episodic nature you know he has is is quite literally the adventures plural of pinocchio he becomes a, 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 he works uh, here he works there he falls in ill fate, he survives it is is really like uh, it has 60 70 characters you know and 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 um, but what i loved about it uh, and I love about the myth always is this idea of two characters that are father and son and split in different journeys and they reunite. You know that idea I think is is gorgeous and simple. And the idea of Pinocchio learning learning to construct his own view of the world uh, by experience. Those are the things I love.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is a film that you wanted to make very early on in your career, which I, I think is very interesting. And I've heard you speak to this over the course of uh, talking about Pinocchio, that mm-hmm. you really wanted to make this after I think very early, like after Mimic, or one of the early films. And yes. and people think, oh, Guillermo del Toro, he's got the Oscars, he's Guillermo del Toro. I mean, you're an icon, you're a pop culture icon. I've met no director yeah. or other artist that doesn't revere you. So I think mm-hmm. this, this kind of tension that you want to make this film, and it took you almost two decades to make this film because yeah. you just got no, yeah. no, no. People said no over and over again.
0: Yeah, I think that the myth... I mean, what I say is, uh, a career is what happens while you're making other plans, to paraphrase John Lennon, you know, and I say a career is basically a a car accident in slow motion. Uh, You know, it it happens over decades, but you have little control of what gets financed and doesn't get financed. Uh, To this day, uh, just last week, the last two weeks, I got two projects rejected. So. It is never, never um, a sure thing. And you don't determine. You sort of strategize and you're in a labyrinth and some, something opens and you go that way. I have 30, 34 screenplays written. Uh, and I have only made twelve movies, so that gives you a proportion right there. Mm.
1: Well, what I love about this film, for me, and I've seen it many times, and I and I just watched it again last night, is that the world unfolds more and more every time I watch it, and you create this perfection and imperfection, yes. and at every time I am. I, I have the same reaction at the end <laughs> where I am incredibly yes. moved by the fact yes. that to love something that is imperfect is so much harder to love something that is perfect or that's easy. That's yes. easy to do. On all your films, I find that it is you make us look at ourselves by the way we look at the the creatures. Let's say I don't want to use the word monsters because that has a negative connotation, but the creatures that you create
0: Yeah, I I think that what I, I mean, there are a few lessons you learn. I have learned that when I, in my 58 years on this earth, one of them is the one in the movie, what happens happens and then we're gone. Meaning none of us is important. So while we are together, all of us are important. And the other one that is um, painfully true is when you look at someone, you're looking, if you come out of fear or hatred, you're looking at a mirror. And when you come out of love, you're looking at a window. Uh, you see the world inside if you're coming from love, and you see a reflection of yourself when you fear or hate. You're really fearing or hating yourself. And I think Geppetto, uh, in this version of Pinocchio, he can't stand scrutiny. He, he really is obsessed with perfection because he likes to be liked, he likes to be approved. And when he prays for a son, and he gets a son that is imperfect, you know. Then he he doesn't know how to cope with it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's like you said, the father son relationship, and there's parts that even as a parent, I know you're a parent, I'm a parent, obviously, I. I told you earlier in the in the conversation. You know, Geppetto's not perfect. He says some things. He says, you're a burden. He chases him away. He can't cope with all of it. He can't deal with the grief. I really love the way that that is shown in the film.
0: And, and he drinks and he's yeah. ill-tempered. And he is really, really, uh, he takes in account what everybody thinks of him to feel good. I mean, the thing that we, we wanted to do was to do a Pinocchio that was actually hyperactive, sort of hard to control. Uh, Right on the beginning, he is a little bit of a hard force to control. He's not a pleasant, uh, angelic little creature.
1: Good morning, Papa! Uh, What what is this? What kind of sorcery? You
0: wanted me to live. You asked for me to live. Who, Who are you? My name is Pinocchio.
1: I'm
0: your son! You're not my son! Don't come near me! The boy's telling the truth, Master Geppetto! He's ah, full of cockroaches! And we wanted a Geppetto that actually uh, was irascible, or was uh, way over his head with this. And, and that makes the movie real, and that's why the arc of the film, uh, there are two things that are very different with this Pinocchio. In, contrary to all other Pinocchios, disobedience here is a virtue. And contrary to other Pinocchios, it's Pinocchio that transforms the people around him, not transforms himself to please and be accepted by the people around him. So those are very counter. And Geppetto and the cricket learn from him. And uh, and they and, and Geppetto starts the film talking about perfection. Look at this pine cone, it's not perfect. We gotta find a perfect one. And he ends up embracing his son in the beach, and he says, you know, be who you are exactly as you are, and I love you. He just wants the basic thing that we all need. I think everybody needs love. Uh, no matter how uh, high and mighty or low and and uh, angry you are, love is uh, soothing. And and Geppetto understands that basic truth at the end. And, and truth and lies are not what is told in the fairy tales, that is good or bad. It's actually being truthful about who you are. And that is the only truth that needs to remain salient in this movie.
1: Mm. Well, I think it's really effective where you set this film in fascist Italy between the wars where everybody is scared into obedience. No one wants anything outside of the realm. Everyone wants everything to be perfect because they're under this kind of tyrannical rule. It just layers the story it beautifully. You just understand it on a big on a micro and a macro level about what what this quote unquote puppet is doing when all the other people are actually puppets. <laughs> if you uh, actually look right, at it.
0: My Well, that was one of the reasons, amongst many, one of the reasons to do it in stop motion is because I said, wouldn't it be beautiful if everybody in the town think they're not puppets and they behave like puppets and they are stop motion puppets. In fact, it's a a world populated by puppets.
1: And this is your first stop motion film, correct?
0: Uh, My first feature. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I did I did shorts. When I was uh, young, and I have co-directed animation at DreamWorks, but I've never co-directed a full feature, uh, and certainly not in stop motion. But uh, I, I had a company that did stop motion for ten years, um, stop motion and makeup effects in Mexico. I have done and animated myself stop motion, but it's a dream. It's a, it's quite literally, I've been dreaming about this for decades, and. Actively, this movie started to be developed in the early 2000s, so about 14, 15 years at the very least, it's been seeking for a home.
1: I should tell our listeners here that you were actually teaching stop-motion animation as a teenager to... Other teenagers that may have been a couple of years younger than you, it's incredible your kind of, as as the kids say these days, origin story. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Monsters have always been a part of your life from, from your first mm-hmm. breath, it feels like, from the crib, mm-hmm. as has... Catholicism brought It figures up, heavily
0: yeah. in this morning.
1: It yeah. figures very heavily in this movie I was, I like to say, brought up 8 day week Catholic but Maronite Catholics my mother was Lebanese, converted by the you know, it was masses in Latin, the whole all of it, so it's so it, that was a very interesting element it was it, obviously another character in the film altogether was the presence of religion and I imagine God and the son of God and all of that yes. kind of symmetry
0: Another father-son story the movie is constructed in father and son stories, and if it, there is a very deliberate desire to show father and son stories that show sons finally being able to tell their fathers what they think. You know, whether it's a Spazzatura, the monkey, rebelling finally from the oppression of Count Volpe or Candlewick being able to tell his fascist father what what it is that he sees him do and obeys blindly or Pinocchio and Geppetto uh being able to finally see each other uh and accept their differences, you know, and, and and there is an underlying theme that is very, very profound for me, which is to understand that the metronome of our life is death. And and that there is there's actually no tragedy in going, there's a tragedy in wasting our life you know, while we are together. And and I think that is very profound for me and very heartfelt because I lost my dad um, about five years ago uh, after Shape of Water and I lost my mom uh, the day before the premiere of uh, Pinocchio. And and I really come to understand that uh, I am on the last uh, quarter of my life, I'm 58. And, uh, and I have one quarter to make good for the rest of, of, the, of the people that are going to stay behind. And I'm, it's a deep reflection for me. It's very, very primal.
1: What is your relationship with Catholicism these days?
0: Well, I, look, I, 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 I love the teachings. I love the stories. I love the cosmology. I don't like the organization, you know? I, uh, But I, I am a man that is introspective, that lives his life trying to be fair and just. And uh, I try to see others and act according to the principles of... the very basic principles of what we do unto others, which is really simple to understand. But I am not practicing. I don't believe in the rituals. I don't believe in the organization. I don't... Uh, I don't believe that you, you have a limited time to, to, to pray and you have to do it in a certain place. I don't believe in that. So if you see Pinocchio, uh, Collodi already had undercurrents of Catholicism in his uh, book. And here uh, Pinocchio uh, is made of wood and nails. Uh, he loses the same arm than the Jesus on the cross as he comes back from resurrection. To save others, he even gets crucified in the film, so it's not exactly subtle.
1: <laughs> Papa!
0: Oh. Oh. Papa! Papa, Papa! It's me! I came to church! It's a demon!
1: Witchcraft, Malochio! Pinocchio! Oh, no, please. It, it, it's a puppet to, to entertain. If he's a puppet, where are his strings?
0: That's true. Who controls you, wooden boy? Well,
1: of course I control him. Who controls you? Ooh. Ooh. I appreciate it all the little. I, I, You know, I guess you could call them Easter eggs, but I appreciated all of that.
0: It comes. Alfonso Cuaron makes fun of me. He says, you are so Catholic. Uh, you're really a Catholic filmmaker because he says in all your movies, in all your movies, happiness begins after death. And I think he has a point. You know, I must concede that, that uh, there is a, a, a very moving belief in something after death. I don't know what it is, but uh, but it was very moving for me to, to do Pinocchio because I, uh, uh, he stays alive, When that's the difference with all my other movies. He stays alive after everybody dies. And, and this is what made it very difficult to finance because I tried to explain to people how actually life-affirming and emotional and beautiful the movie was when the theme was death because I think the paradox is when you talk about death, you really are talking about life. And that's what makes it moving, you know?
1: Mm, Well, as soon as you accept the death, that's when you begin to live. Yeah.
0: If life doesn't end, it never begun. Mm
1: -hmm. And just just to see Pinocchio's arc as he's like, I'm alive, I can never die. You know, just to see that Mm -hmm. arc is so beautiful one thing I do want to discuss is the amount of time that goes into a stop motion film. And I think yes. uh, for our listeners, most people, you know, when you make a movie, it's maybe three months max and that's a long time. You know, yes. you're on location yeah. for three months and whatnot. But this took a thousand days, I think I read, uh, approximately. approximately.
0: About 940 days of shoot, yeah. <laughs> and we, and we, so that means that I mean, a long, long schedule on a movie is considered 94 days. So it's this is 940 days. is a, a ten times the size of a shooting uh, schedule. We were working with over 60 units at the same time. Some units were going down. Some units were going up. Some units were, uh, you know, in preparation. But they were all shooting or preparing concurrently. And uh, if you think about it, to move a character. It takes 24 frames for it to yield one second, and the movie is two hours. And it's incredibly complex to unify the acting style, to unify the directing style, the style of the film. Unfortunately, this is happening when I am on my 12th film and uh, I have produced or co-directed even much more, and Mark, Uh, Gustafsson, my co-director, has directed over 200 commercials and has directed feature uh, animation and features. And uh, we were able to combine our forces for this, which is a titanic amount of work. And people should know everything in this movie is done by hand. It is not a computer generated character. It's all done by artisans.
1: There's incredible action in this film. Like when yes. the whole, the action of when he's at the, you know, war training camp and then where they're in the ocean and that escape from the sea monster and all of it, it, it it's as if you're watching a regular, I, I felt like I, there was no difference for me experiencing it as a viewer than watching a live act. Adrenaline mm-hmm. felt the same. The stakes felt the same. The level of cinematic suspense, it all felt the same. And it's just incredible to think about that that's 24, like you said, you know, I can't my brain can't even comprehend
0: no no listen even people that are in animation have a hard time figuring out how stop motion is done it is an incredibly artisanal artistic deep dive universe that fortunately for me i've lived in since i was a child because i started doing stop motion in my super eights and and i know it and my language and my vernacular with my co-director or the animator was Seamless, but to give you an idea, it also is analog to live action. We are photographing real little sets with real little props. We have miniaturized the fabrics. We have miniaturized the weaving, the color, the patterns. Everything is, every character is about 12 inches tall. You know? And the universe you create is in that sort of, it's not a miniature, it's a maxiture. They're really, like the church is really big, but everything is detailed with uh, reference photographs. There's real cinematography and it's as complex as live action. But the way I say it is like Ginger Rogers to Fred Astaire. We do the same steps than they do, but backwards in high heels. You know, it's really more complicated in many ways
1: definitely more complicated I mean you look at it and it's 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 staggering in the in the thousand days when you say it like that I wonder are there moments for your creative process to change during that time did you have did things switch for you or for for Mark or any of the animators were was there any kind of tension that happened during that or is it mapped out and it just takes that long you know just to to be completely candid
0: everything is impossible Everything is impossible. We, we we tackled a movie that was almost superhuman to do, and the demand that I placed on everybody in this uh, film. I said we we will always give a hundred percent of ourselves, a hundred percent of the time. I said we will only be as good as our worst shot, and I said and and, and we did. We did things that normally are not done in stop motion. We actually re, reshot about 30, 35 shots. We said, we got to do it again because I see the character moving, but I don't feel the character is thinking or feeling. And I don't want motion, I want emotion, you know? And, and it was very, very taxing because up to the last day, and this is something really interesting, up to the last day, everybody thought I would ease, ease up, but there were no animators left. And I said to Alex and Alex, Alex and Mark, we got to reshoot this shot. And, and Mark said, well, there's no animators left. And then Mark said, but I could do it. And I said, well, then you're going to do it because I want this shot to be reshot. And, and Mark went in and animated the last shot of the production himself, because there was a mismatch in the move. So the rigor in this movie started on day one and didn't end until we finished shooting.
1: It's incredible. I always say every day in my life how you do one thing is how you do all things, and it sounds like you know it doesn't matter whether it's the first day or the last day. I love that. All right, which brings me to casting. You struck a nerve when you said about you wanted to see the emotion. You see the motion, but not the emotion. And what I think is so incredible is the voice actors. You and McGregor, first of all, amazing. Kate Blanchett, amazing. The young boy Pinocchio who also plays Carlo is incredible. Ron Perlman, who you've worked with many many times, but all. Also, mm-hmm. it's not only the actors, it's the casting of the animators that are acting as well.
0: Yeah, normally, because how complex it is to schedule a movie like this, you get one animator to do one shot, but not they don't follow up with that same character. The next shot is animated by somebody else in the same sequence, and somebody else, a third person, animates the, the fourth shot. But in this case, Mark and I, Mark Gustafsson and I, we said, we got to give... We gotta cast the animators. Whoever is good at that character gets to animate that character. And to give you a couple of examples, the scene between Geppetto and Pinocchio, the scenes in the bedroom, one animator did that over two years. One single animator animated Geppetto and Pinocchio in that scene. Another animator, uh, Tiago from Brazil, he went into limbo to animate the dialogue between Pinocchio and the Sphinx, and he stayed in limbo for two years, you know? So we did things a little different than normal. The other thing that we did that was very, very much transformative is we went into this movie and said, we don't want pantomime in the acting style, we want naturalistic, thoughtful, emotional animation that can be quiet, because animation can be very sitcom overactive, overhyper, uh, the camera moves all over the place, the characters move all over the place. And I think, in my opinion, to mature into the style that we have in the acting uh, takes a lot of, uh, not only a lot of uh, uh, effort, but animators understand that we didn't want a gag. Like if somebody does, uh, 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 we did a lot of failed acts. People do mistakes, quote unquote, like uh, uh, Gebeto stumbles on a bottle that is on the floor or gets into a fight with a floating balloon and gets a little tangled with it. But none of those were played for a gag. They were played for naturalism. And this is a movie that has a huge degree of naturalism in the acting.
1: I think it's what makes it a masterpiece. You just, you are completely in this world and you're not thinking Mm -hmm. that these people are not. The irony is obviously in the fairy tale, Pinocchio wants to become a real boy, right? That's the goal is to become real. And what you're Mm -hmm. watching is real. I can't state enough how that kind of concept moved me. You've brought empathy and dimension to creatures and monsters that have appeared throughout your work. I'm just curious, as a child, was there a time when monsters truly terrified you? And how did you then come to view them through a lens of fragility and loss?
0: I was born uh, melancholic. I mean, I think I was a melancholic child since I was a baby. I was very, very tied to to sort of the vibrations of the ether. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a quiet, a quiet boy, an observer, not a participant. I was uh, very, very scared, to the point where I developed what psychiatrists or psychologists would call a counterphobic reaction, which means the things that scared me the most, I fell in love with in order to cope. And I think that that is the origin probably of my love of monsters. But the other thing that I truly, truly felt as a kid is that monsters were the incarnation of the permission to be imperfect, the permission to not be the active, sporty, uh, happy, sunny boy that everybody seemed to consider an ideal, you know? That it was okay to be in the darkness or reading a book and being quiet. And, you know, I think that, and the the thing that you long for the most, which is in Pinocchio, is to be seen by your parents, uh, as an ideal son or, or an ideal child, no matter what you do, because that's who you are. And, 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 and I think the, Monsters represent many things and they represent the possibility to to exist in an imperfection for me.
1: Mm. All right, I want to take you back to Oscar night, 2018, Mm -hmm. Shape of Mm -hmm. Water. It won four Oscars, director, best picture. I mean, these are the thing, music, production design. These are the kinds of things I imagine as a young teenager, you, I don't know if the Oscars or that kind of accolade was on your mind. But considering that, you were this different child. That kind yeah. of recognition. What was it like that night to I mean, and, and, and I should say the film got nominated for many more. You just happened, yeah. the film just happened to win four. What was that like yeah. for you that night?
0: You know, it, it, I must say there's two answers. One, to make Shape of Water was so difficult that it felt really uh, satisfa- a great satisfaction. But at a really intimate, spiritual level, there is a thing nobody sees at home, but you live. Imagine that you're shooting this a POV. You're on your seat, you see the, the your, your wife or whoever you're with, uh, your colleagues, your friends, and then the camera goes on stage, climbing the steps, and then the camera turns and you see the entire theater and the theater is applauding, and there is a wave of love from your peers, the people you have admired, the directors you have looked up to, the designers, the cinematographers, the editors are there, and the wave of love is incredibly healing. It's the single most healing moment I have had experience up until then. You know, and uh, and I've had really in my life three or four healing moments. Uh, and I, 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 there's no way to explain, explain it, but as a wave of love. And, 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 and our profession is extremely hard to explain, except for people that do it. And it's incredibly hard and incredibly precise. And it takes such amounts of time and effort and life, ultimately life that you say, I've given my life for this art. And in this moment, the art thanks you back. And it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. It's uh, just beyond description. And, 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 and it is because no matter what, if you do this, at least once you have rehearsed your speech in the shower at least once, so. I don't care what, how iconoclastic, how anarchic you are, a filmmaker, you have at least, in the privacy of your shower, rehearsed once with a bottle of shampoo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. I mean, it is it was amazing. And that film is incredible. And it deserved all of those Oscars and and, or more. But to get it for picture and director and it's just so special. The thing
0: that is beautiful and and it wouldn't be if it wasn't like this. And this is important to say. I got there doing what I do. I did not change. And all of a sudden I, I, I won an Oscar because I did The Life and Times of Louis Pasteur. Or I didn't do a different, like I did the movies I did. And the times I've been there, I've been there with Nightmare Alley, with the Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water. I've been there with movies that I do. This is what I do. Pinocchio is what I do. It fits with Pan's Labyrinth. It fits with Devil's Bag And that's the, that's the satisfaction. Like Pinocchio, you didn't have to change to be loved.
1: Let's talk about the love between you and Inaratu and Quaron. And What's interesting to watch, uh, to be an observer from the outside, is Hollywood is, it, it can be seen as something that is divisive and not supportive and frenemies. And, you know, a director will say, take that scene, you know, a fr- quote unquote friend will maybe give the wrong advice because yes. they're jealous of what they're seeing. And we know it's been documented yes. in the past, but which is so unique is the three of you all have a, all have this candor with each other.
0: Yes. It's unique. I, I have very collegiate relationship with many directors, and I give and receive love and support with many directors, but the level of intimacy and trust with Alejandro and Alfonso is out of this world. I mean, they are, they are you know, everybody says there are two families, the one you're born with and the one you make. They are my brothers by making. And uh, I trust them completely. I, if they ache, I ache. If they, if, you know, I remember when Alfonso won, the first time, I, if I my mother, uh, we were watching at home in her bed, and she said, she turned to me and said, "Your brother won." Yeah, and and I felt like that. Even now, I'm. Moved.
1: And and all of you are still working at the top of of yeah. your craft as well which is something that I love to see it's like amazing, you're all three in it like right now, present, it's not in the past it's it's current, it's right in front of us
0: and, and that's why when I look at Alejandro uh, uh, just going out, all out on, on a movie like Bardo where he is confessing and, and, and going for experimentation that is grand and risky and all that. It it really fills me with joy for him to see him doing that, because the, the the normal route is once you get some something some accolades or you play it safe, and they they both. I was talking to Alfonso last week. And I'm talking about what he's shooting, and they never play it safe. Neither do I. I tried, if you look at my filmography, I have a noir, a gothic romance, a giant robot movie, an animated stop-motion, Pinocchio. It's like I don't want to be bored. I don't want to do the same movie. And yet they tell similar stories, but we always go out and, and push a new genre or push a new register.
1: Mm, it's amazing. Where I, I feel privileged to be alive during the time that the three of you are making films. All right, well, one I'm asking this question to everybody uh, this season on the podcast, and that's about small wins. And I know you might have had a small win, uh, just (laughs) as we said, there's no, what's a Sunday? Because listeners, we are recording this on a Sunday. Um, So I came to this because everything going on in the world and even in my own life, sometimes just a really good cup of coffee feels like a tremendous win. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I would ask you, what, what has been a, a, a small win that you've recently experienced? You
0: know, I, I, always, I always feel really, really good when I see a good movie, always. I, I mean, when I know somebody is out there trying a really good movie, trying to tell it really well, trying to create either a great comedy or a great little scare and um you know not not a few days ago i saw a horror movie called smile and it had a, a fantastic uh set piece that was so well thought and so well calibrated and I, and i i was uh, elbowing my wife kim and I'm saying look at that look at that oh my god look at that i i, I when 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 i can be an audience and not a professional That's a great win, a small great win. Mm.
1: All right, which one of the puppets or uh, creatures from Pinocchio are you going to take and put in your house in your amazing collection?
0: It's a lot of them. (laughs) I'm getting the rabbits, the coffin, Podesta, Candlewick, uh, Pinocchio, Geppetto, Carlo, Spazzatura, uh, and uh, I'm getting uh, the crucifix. Of course.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say the church. Yeah. Well, I would say, listeners, yeah. you have to go to YouTube. And there's a tour, I think you did it for Conan O'Brien or something, where yeah. you go inside your house. And it's amazing to see um, all of that living uh, in in one in one house. It's incredible. Yeah, um, a lot of monsters. A lot of monsters. All right. Well, I have to ask for uh, my son, Ford, who obviously is a, like I said, is a huge uh, fan of yours. And he wanted to, to know... How do you come up with these ideas for your creatures?
0: You know, what I what I would say is normally if I'm designing a creature, I go to either art or zoology. You know, I don't get inspired by other creatures in film because then you're doing a a copy of a copy. So, you know, I get inspired by sea creatures. I get inspired by primates, by uh, reptiles, or I get inspired by painters or sculptors. You know, there's a symbolist painter that I that I like, Odilon Redon, or Carlos Schwab, or uh, you name it, Fuseli, you know, and, and others pre, pre-symbolist like Bucklin. And what I try to is, and I talk about this with my design teams, I say, deepen your uh, visual vocabulary by doing things, by reading and being uh, st- students of things that are not just cinema images, that you, you you can deep dive into a school of painting or you can deep dive in a school of architecture. And that way they always feel fresh and alive. And in the case, for example, of Pinocchio, when we designed the uh, sphinx uh, that guards the realm of dead and the sprite that the wood sprite that regards the realm of life, I went to Mexican artisans, like to, to the idea of a wood carving. I went to Mesopotamian uh, carvings, you know, the winged bulls. I went to, to things that didn't feel organic. I wanted them to feel mythical and sort of larger than life in the sculptural aspect of it. So you know you 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 go to the unlikely source rather than the source that more quickly will give you a solution, and that exploration, then you find the quirks. You say, for example, there I said I want metal masks on their faces because I don't I want them to look identically unconcerned, life and death. They need to look identically unconcerned with the fate of, of the recipients of their gifts. So. You know, think about it, and think about one thing: character and form are the same thing. Like we, we as characters, when we walk into a room, 90% of who we are is communicated nonverbally by our posture, by our uh, why, what we're wearing, the way we tilt our head, the way we look or not look. And monsters are no different. When they enter a frame. You need to know exactly the character they are.
1: Thank you. That was a great answer. Guillermo, thank you so much for the time. I know how busy you are. I just... Uh, always love talking to you, and I really yes, appreciate yeah. you coming on the show, and I love this movie.
0: Thank you very much, and uh, I hope you play uh, the interview we did for Pacific Rim to your son.
1: Yeah, I will. I'm going to. It's going to give me some real street cred. Are you kidding? I've got like a <laughs> grumpy teenager, so I'll, I'll take it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Be well, Guillermo. See you later. Bye-bye. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's Netflix, Q-U-E-U-E.com.